cooking is not 100% universal for everybody. That's the hardest part for a lot of people to understand is holding a knife is going to be different for every single individual. Knife skills, hand size, all those factors come into play. So it's hard to just say to someone, just practice, you know. You're listening to The Taste Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Rodbard. The Bear. We all love The Bear, the hit restaurant drama from FX. And we love The Bear for so many reasons. For me, it's the merging of front and back of house and the hyper-realistic portrayal of food. Courtney Starr is a Los Angeles-based chef and the show's culinary producer. That is, she's behind the show's hyper-realistic cooking scenes. In this episode, we find out how she translates her decades of professional cooking experience for the actors and how growing up in Chicago informed the way she thinks about food. Get to know Courtney Storer on this entertaining episode of the Taste Podcast. Courtney Storer, welcome to the Taste Podcast. Thank you for having me. It's so cool to talk to you. Ah, oh, same. I'm so excited. So we'll get into some of your cooking history and and some of your background and some of your like well hashtag Chicago life and hashtag Chicago dog Chicago pizza et cetera et cetera. Um, but first, let's talk about the bear because I want to go over a few things about your job as a culinary producer. I mean, you, I did not know who you were as a producer. I knew who you were as a chef for years. I've heard your name pop up. You're you're awesome and like you have a career and you're great. But then I was interviewing Ao a debris. And she mentioned you, Coco or Courtney. I don't know. Should we call you Courtney or Coco? What do you want to go by? Coco. I mean, every everyone out here calls me Coco. It's so funny. <laughs> Coco, Courtney. I don't care. It, either one. Whatever you prefer. But Coco is kind of like the inner circle. <laughs> well, she was like, Coco was this. Coco was that. Coco was giving me <laughs> nice like, skills. like, who the hell is that? <laughs> Dude, I was like, who's Coco? And then she's like, oh, Courtney. And then I'm like, oh, my gosh, I know who that is. Yeah. So, like, let's, what is a culinary, like, what were you doing with the bear? Well, totally. Before I did this job, I was like, what is a culinary producer? So I understand why everyone is wondering what this job is. Um, and it it kind of took shape as um, I got to set, honestly. Um, obviously, I'm related to Chris. He's my older brother. And I've known about the bear for some time. Um, but it, it picked up and kind of got its footing really, really quickly as a TV show within the past couple of years, but really the past year in the pandemic, which was totally wild. Um, so I think we're all kind of just hanging in there and winging it. And I told Chris, if you need me, like I'm your phone a friend, I'm here for you, whatever you need. Um, you call me like I'm, I'm there. And, you know, I've had a lot going on the past couple of years and, you know, I had a big life change leaving a really busy restaurant at John and Vinny's and kind of, you know, jumping into the next phase of my career as a chef, kind of figuring out what the hell I'm doing next, which is also very scary and odd. Um, but, I kind of came to set just kind of open-minded. Um, I knew I would be working with the chefs, you know, prior to filming, Io and I spent some time together um, just kind of talking about what it's like to be a chef and her kind of helping me out, going to the farmer's market with me, um, helping me prep for a few events that I had going on. And in that time, you know, I I really worked with her on just body movement and um 
kind of just how different it it is for women in kitchens. Um, and that's, it's not just exclusive to women, but just different people, you know, cooking is not hundred percent universal for everybody. And you have to bring your own self to the game. And that's the hardest part for a lot of people to understand is holding a knife is going to be different for every single individual knife skills, hand size, all that, all those factors come into play. So it's hard to just say to someone, just practice, you know? Yeah. So, you can't, you can't just intuit that is you have to actually like tell them yeah. like go and like ch- chop like 25 shallots for a prep for, for an sure event, right? over and over and over. I mean, yeah, a hundred percent. I'm still working on my knife skills and I've been cooking for a long time now, but, um, it's like, you know, stepping on set, I kind of just felt like, oh, wow. Okay. I know what I can do to help. <laughs> it was like, I was like, oh, let's, let's switch this up. Wait, wait, wait a minute. And, um, that was kind of what Maddie and I did was being on set, living and breathing, um, what was being filmed that day. There's a lot of reviewing the scripts, talking about, um, anything from how a chef calls tickets to what they're doing when they're calling those tickets. What does it look like? What does it sound like? What are some things that are call outs that aren't in the script that need to be? You mentioned a couple names and I want to just go back and refresh our, our listeners. Uh, you mentioned Chris, your brother, older brother, Chris, Chris you know, big fan of Chris, uh, his work with Rami, which is an incredible show and, and Hassan Mintaj. And so this is your older brother. He's the showrunner and creator of the show. And then you mentioned Maddie Matheson, who's on the show, but also a chef, your friend, and also a culinary producer. And so you have these, you know, people in your life who are who are on the show. Did you know what t- making television was all about before you stepped on set of the bear? Had you been in television sets? You know, I have because my Chris's girlfriend Gillian is an actor, and um, I always, when I can, will go to set with her for whatever she was working on. And for Chris over the years, while he was working on projects, whether they'd be in Chicago or in LA, um, whatever I could come to, I would. Um, But not to this extent in the slightest. Like, let's just say I walked on the set and saw the Mr. Beef and I just like started crying because it was like, it was overwhelming. I was so proud of Chris. Um, I saw so much of you know, this unspoken connection that we have through food. I mean, you know, I think a lot of people relate to that with a sibling is you don't always go there with the, all the emotions. And, you know, Chris and I have definitely been through a lot with our younger brother as well, Corey, who lives in Chicago. I mean, we've, we've been through a lot. So um, I think seeing this moment happen and this nostalgia, you know, kind of recreated, it was overwhelming. And so, no, I hadn't been involved in this extent, but it definitely had light bulbs. Like my heart just like opened up and I was like, what about this? And I remembered this and all these things came out that as we were filming, I was like, Hey, let's move this or let's do this. Um, it felt very natural, um, for me to step in as, as this culinary producer, because it wasn't just about, you know, making an Italian beef look good. It was so much bigger than that. Yeah. I mean, I want to know, like, how do you get the sounds, the smells, the lingo, the violence to your body right? I mean, this is really challenging because a lot of times, uh, and it's been written a lot about your show, a lot of times it's just corny. It's some kind of trope. It's some kind of cliche. But somehow you were able to really get it right in terms of all the the hardships that you go through and all the, you know, the not hardships, like the the real uplifting moments. And the show really captures the mood swings of a, of a restaurant quite well. How did you get it right? I, I think you said it. It's mood swings. <laughs> um, 
You know, Chris has been very close to my culinary journey because I lived with him um, for a couple of years after I got back from France and I was working in Paris, but I kind of came back a little shell-shocked. Like I felt like I really sucked. I had just been in the most amazing experience and kind of came back like, whoa, like what am I doing? I'm in more debt than I was when I left. Um, you know, he, he was really there for all the storytelling and, you know, helping build me back up from that, I guess. When, when I came to Los Angeles, I had just come to visit him just to see him. Cause I hadn't seen him in a long time. And, um, he was like, you should really try out LA and, and see what opportunities are out here. Um, but I think when you talk about the moodiness and uh, the the bruising and the bumps and the bruises, like Chris created the show with with Joanna uh, Kahlo, who um, I talked with at length about the highs and lows of cooking, um, the falling in love with the smells, like healing through smell has been what's kept me in kitchen so long because I struggle with depression and some anxiety. And um, I think smelling things is really healing and calming for me. Um, it, it offers me safety, even though it's chaos and it's crazy. I'm actually loving what's going on too, you know, looking at a finished product, seeing something from start and finish in a kitchen. So when we were on set, that was something that we did. We cooked on set. It smelled. Our X factor was that we were actually cooking the brujol, you know, and the whole set and crew could smell it all day and the actors could smell yeah, it. You're using real fire. I mean, using real yeah. fire seemed to be very important for your show. Yeah. You weren't like faking any of that stuff. Yes. And like the mixer with, with uh, Marcus's character, Lionel, you know, spending some time in the bakery in a tiny space and working with equipment that sucks or an oven that's not great or, you know, um, all that was really real. And I think the set decorators and the props department, I mean, honestly, everybody involved in the bear took it so seriously and did their research. It, it takes a real village uh, to execute what that show looks like. And it kind of was like everybody's contribution. It's like, you know, the Avengers, as I say, it's like everybody's got to have their talents and bring it and take it seriously. Well, let's talk about set a bit because I, I observe that you've got characters like I, you know, Ao's character Sydney is is such a breakthrough character, and it sounds like maybe your brother wrote her a little bit to be like you. It sounds like there's like a lot <laughs> yeah. of anxiety and yeah. there's some there's some stuff going on there that we'll probably find out in future years. And such an incredible actor Io is, but I want to ask you about we've got physical characters, but then we've got these other characters. Like Noma is a character. Like the EMP or the big air quotes EMP with the Joel McHale character is a is a that restaurant's a character. Richard Hart is not spoken, but his his image, the, the Dan, famous Danish baker, is a character. You know, the stack of cookbooks that Carmi has on his desk is a character. So, like, were you helping create these real characters when you were working with your brother and the writers about bringing in like real artifacts that seem absolutely legit? Absolutely. I mean. Characters are a really great word for it. Another word is personality. You know, it's like it kind of goes hand in hand. And I used to say that restaurants have very different personalities. And going from fine dining, the personality and the character of that experience is very different than when I went and worked at a place like Animal or even when I became the chef at John and Vinny's. Each different place had such a different vibe. And what that creates is different experiences for the chef. So you have 
you know, in one kitchen, a lot of different chefs with different experiences that are forming how they work in that space from that character that they've been around. Right. So it's like, you know, in fine dining, there were do's and do nots that I would never do, you know, walking into another kitchen. But when I was at Animal, I was like, oh, we don't have to worry about any of that. It's totally different. And I think that's so important when you look at the bear is you see Carmi kind of living in this fine dining background, rigidity, rigor, dedication, and then kind of comes to the bear and is like, oh, wow, like I have to pick my battles here. This kitchen's a fucking mess. Nothing's in the walk-in. Mustard's in the walk-in. Like, why is mustard in there? Why do we have mayonnaise? You know, what is going on? Um, And you can kind of see him just try to survive. Um, But I think, you know, different restaurants have different ethical codes, I guess. So that's a big part of that struggle. And I think the struggle that a lot of cooks experience is changing their environment to learn. You know, I know I always wanted to bounce from one kitchen to another after a year. And a lot of times I would stay longer than a year because I'd have a hard time like walking away or whatever it is. Um, you, you got the, you got the walk-in right. I mean, I, yeah. I just, I, I can, I get walk-in smell when I, when I am watching <laughs> your show, like, yeah. I, you know, the, the, the scene with the stock, the, the incident with the stock is such a real scene. You, that you really happened. This. That's a real story that happened to me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That happened. I. That's a really important story because that happened to me at Animal. So the stock, uh, Sydney is reaching up and gr- trying to grab this large container of stock and it spills and she's not helped and she doesn't ask for help. And it's like a comment about physicality in the, in the kitchen and going beyond your, your physical limits. Yeah. And also being asked, you know, are you sure? You know, I, I used to have that difficulty as I became a chef was always being second guessed. Even when I was in the position of leadership, sometimes it was really hard for me because I didn't see my male counterparts be asked if they were sure or not. You know, it was just, yes, chef. For me, I would get a little bit of pushback sometimes. And that was really frustrating. And, you know, even as a cook, that veal stock situation happened to me where I went to reach something. I knew it was too heavy, but I was so tired of needing help, you know, having to ask to stop people to help me. And I was like, I'm just going to fucking figure it out. (laughs) And I like reached for it and it fell all over me. I actually like poured it all over myself and had to work the rest of the shift. And oh man, I remember a cook came in and he was so kind. It was like, keep going. Cause I was like, it was, you know, I always tried not to cry in a kitchen, even when I was so frustrated. Um, but it was one of those moments where I was like, I'm going to actually lose my mind. And he was like, don't give up. Like you're fine. Keep going. I'll help you. Um, but it wasn't the veal stock. It was that I had to make the veal stock again, you know, veal stock takes a long time. And that was a Remy. So it took a couple of days and like, I was just like, no. Why? I know it's so much work when you have a Remy full of the veal stock that's like hours and hours and hours of work and you, you, you dump it. Yeah, and you spill it and then you have more eyes on you. I just wanted to fit in and I didn't want people looking at me. I was trying to make myself small and just let the focus be on the work, you know. More more questions about the show. Yeah. Episode seven is just remarkable television. I think I talked to AO about it and I've, we've talked about it a lot in the show and our show podcast. It's incredible. Like a single shot, you're, you're you're going through this crazy service. But I want to ask you, what's in the donut filling? What's <laughs> in the donut filling? Let's do it. 
It must be good because Marcus is pumped at that moment. But um, it's a well. So is Carmi when he makes a realization about what's in it too. So like Marcus is pumped, but then Carmi tries it and and he's like, "Damn, damn!" Um, It is like a fermented cherry filling, like a sweet and sour kind of cherry, Um, and it was delicious (laughs) for sure. Okay, question. So that's that's a reference to as a Danish. Uh, is that yeah. is that a Richard Hart recipe? Yeah. Well, it's it's kind of inspired. It, yes, it's like a little bit of Richard Hart, a little bit of uh, Polish donuts um, in Chicago. You know, it's a little bit of everything. So that was actually something that you made, or one of your uh, assistants made Chef on Sarah. set. That day. Yeah. She made it that day. So that's actually real. Like, that's really yes. delicious donut right there. Yes. Yes. It's real. Thank you for like, you're like, this is great. Cause I was like, is this a real donut filling that is just makes you want to cry? It's so good. <laughs> yes. And we had Chef, so Chef Sarah was um, responsible for a lot of the pastry and we all worked together. And obviously, Maddie. And it was just like, we all were just like, let's make this really yummy because it's going to make a difference. And it, it really did. What's uh what's a day like filming? Like is it like a 20 hour day? Are you are you really going going hard when you're filming the show? Yeah, you are you're going hard. I think what the show did really well is they stayed on schedule and every I was blown away by that level of professionalism of keep it on track, let's go. I felt like everybody was ready. Um there was rarely like a lot of delays. Um I was really impressed at the preparation of it all. And the other, I, I think for the most part, we were on, on schedule under, you know, right at or under eight hours. And I saw that kind of efficiency, the same in my brother as myself of like being effective. Um, and I was impressed as a director because he kept it all on track. Same with Joe. I was like, wow, guys, good job. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, there's rules and stuff. So you got to keep it kind of like at eight hours. Right? Yeah. But it was also in, like in that eight hours, it was jam packed. I mean, I would leave set and be like, damn, I have a whole level, new level of respect for that industry because it's intense. It felt like working a service. You know, I was like, damn, there's, there's definitely parallels. You're on your feet, you're moving around. It's like nonstop. It's cold or it's hot or it's whatever. Um, it's pretty intense. Uh, I want to talk about your career. Um, because it's it's just cool. And you grew up in Chicago. You grew up around a lot of Chicago foods. And we can get into that at the end. But I want to hear about France first. Because you went to France uh, and you stodged there. And it sounds like it was difficult. Like from what I've read, it was a difficult situation. It was, it was difficult, yes. Um, the thing about uh, Paris, so I, I went, I had um, kind of gotten some... Uh, direction from my culinary school at the time, International Culinary Center. And my chef, Mark, at the time, and Xavier, they're both French chefs who had worked with other students who went to Paris. And, you know, I think they were like, hey, you're you're really good, but take a risk right now and, and make it worth your while and make up for lost time. And the best place to go is Europe. And that's what we suggest. And if you can do it, go. And you know, I hadn't had a lot of, uh, savings ever in my life. And so that was a big risk for me, but I kind of figured why not give it a go. And, um, so when I came into the kitchen, I was 
a little bit nervous because I was older than everybody. I always felt that difference that, you know, I had this big career in other jobs, um, corporate jobs. I worked at EPS and Whole Foods and had these experiences that were corporate, which made me a, a very trained leader, but I wasn't, I was a very green cook. So coming into Paris um, and coming up to Verjoux, I was like, these people are going to like, tell me to go scratch. <laughs> like, I didn't think that I would have a chance in hell, especially looking around at all the cooks. So, I mean, I was green in every sense of the word. Um, I broke the oven on the first day. I cut myself really bad the first you day. You cut yourself and broke the oven on the first day. Wow. Double whammy. Yeah. Really, really, really made an impression. They, I think we had gotten it to gotten to figure it out by the time that there was a, the service. We were ready for service, but it really, uh, set back the pastry chef. So bless her heart. Like her name's Cassie. She was one of the most amazing cooks I've ever worked with. Um, chefs all well-rounded. Like I was just blown away by how much she knew in the pastry world and the culinary world. Um, and here I was just like humiliating myself. <laughs> I cut myself. I broke the oven. Then I had to make family meal and I couldn't use the oven because I had you know broken it, short-circuited it and had to serve cold carrots like with herbs and olive oil on them. And everyone was like, I'm going to go out and eat somewhere else. I mean, it was oh, like, no. this, is day, this is day one. And thank God for just going through stuff in life where I have uh, a natural thick skin. Cause I was like, okay, I've been through worse than this. Like I can survive this. This is, I'm gonna, I'm bad, but I'm, I'm, I can get better. It's not rocket science. Like I can take the, uh, embarrassment. <laughs> But there's redemption there at the end of the at the end of the day, at the end of the, your time in France, I would imagine. You've redeemed yourself. Yes, yes. I didn't give up. I wanted to. Um, you know, I was way outside of my comfort zone. I didn't know where I was going or what I was doing. I barely spoke the language. Um, so I really went in, you know, unprepared. And I wouldn't have changed anything about that because I really had to rely on other skills that I could bring to the table. Like, honestly, I had a good attitude every day. Um, even though I sucked and people razzed me, like I still kept a smile on my face and I still cleaned and worked really hard. And I think that kind of proved that I was a team player one way or another. Um, but yeah, there were kitchen fires in that kitchen that I accidentally caused or like, like there was just like, it was nonstop embarrassment, but I just kept showing up every day. And luckily they didn't kick me out. But you end up in Los Angeles and uh, you end up in the the John and Vinny ecosystem working at Animal and eventually working at a key role at John and Vinny's, uh, their their restaurant that they opened later after Sunday Gun and Animal. I guess, and you're no longer there now, but what was it like working with those two guys uh, and learning not just culinary moves, but also just how to run a business? Yeah, you know, I had been a fan of John and Vinny um, since the first time I had eaten at Animal. And Chris actually took me there as like one of the first dinners um, in my time in LA. I think it was Animal and then we went to Son of a Gun and um, yeah. Tuama. Oh, that's, oh man, that Son of a Gun chicken sandwich. Chicken sandwich, phenomenal. Shout Honestly, oh son <laughs> so good. Yeah. And I was immediately blown away. I felt like the level of hospitality mixed with 
the love, like the food execution, I was like, wow, they, they nail it. Um, and so I was very intrigued and didn't know how to really apply. I, I ended up going to Twamac, met Chef Ludo, staged at Twamac, did not get the job and got bumped around a little bit with, within the group. Um, and I was hired at animal. I staged there, got the job and was, was immediately impressed. Um, with John and Vinny, I learned a lot about, cooking food that you like, um, and making it work, making it fun, um, and not, not really overthinking. I think what they do is they make food that they want to eat at a restaurant, you know, and it works. Um, you know, I remember just learning more about acid and seasoning just in general, um, prepping of proteins to executing them on the line to how to cook a steak, literally like a huge ribeye, like a, 48 ounce steak I was cooking at animal, you know, by the time I left and, um, I learned a ton, but it was there that I kind of got to meet John and Vinny. Um, they were always busy. I always remember that like catering job to opening a restaurant to moving around. And I was like, wow, how do they do it? You know, how do they manage all of that? Where is that coming from? And, you know, Helen, uh, was a big influence at the time because I was just blown away at, at, her in this position where she was juggling so many different restaurants and creating the vibe and the wine. And oh I just, yeah, Helen, I just like, uh, yeah, she's amazing. And I was like, how, how do I learn? You know, where do I start? Yeah. John Shook and Vinny DiTolo have come a long way from two dudes in a pan. Yeah, it's very true. <laughs> do you ever, talk, do you ever like bring that up with that? No, no. I mean, no, yes, yes, no, limits. there's some good recipes in that book. I will say oh, the pancake definitely. recipe is a good one. Um, it's but, just hilarious to do yes, Japan. It's I mean, hilarious. hilarious, but, but yeah, so, so John and Vinny's being built and, um, they had hired a different chef. I was kind of bummed. I also wasn't even a sous chef at that time. So I was kind of like, this is a long shot, but you know, long story short, serendipity wise, um, they brought me over to John and Vinny's as a sous chef and I worked up as, uh, the head chef. And I think, the reason that worked out is because of all my experience in management at other corporations, because I was able to structure a restaurant that was doing crazy covers with to-go's large team open for breakfast, lunch, and dinner with no break, you know, two family yeah, it's meals. It's a rock in place. It's such a rock It was place. intense. Yeah. It was a big, yeah. big job to take on for my first job as a chef. So I definitely got kind of schooled. I, I mean, I feel like it was like I got hit by a truck at first, but then I, I learned to take the reins and really learned a lot there. You were there for years and you, you ended up moving on to the private chef realm. Is that, you just, you've, you were you know, I, in, the, in that sector. Yeah. I, I think I had, you know, worked my way up to the culinary director at John and Vinny's and I just really wanted ownership. You know, I got to a place in my life where I was like, I want to own my work and that's really important to me. Um, I need to figure out what that looks like. You know, I think I had lived within their dream and it paralleled really closely to mine. I love Italian food. I always wanted to open my own Italian restaurant. And then here I was running a really great one. Um, but I really wanted to figure out what my voice as a chef looks like, what my space would look like if I, if and when I create it. And I was getting a little bit muddled and um, confused about that. And I think working at a velocity, um, you know, the intensity was kind of uh, leaving me with this ambiguity about my future. And I think that was why I had to step back, especially like in the pandemic, um, things were changing so much. And, 
you know, couple that add, add in depression and anxiety. And I was like, I need to slow down. I need to figure out what I'm doing. Way to, way to take the reins. I mean, that's such a yeah. big It was a hard decision. Yeah, yeah. You clearly loved, loved a lot of elements of that job. It, yeah. it also sounds like, you know, a foreshadow for season two of The Bear. It seems like Sydney, <laughs> uh, you know, grappling for equity within a, a busy restaurant group. Yeah. Thinking about her future. I'm just like totally just mood boarding, white, whiteboarding. Right <laughs> You're painting the picture. I want to talk about Chicago because you grew up in uh, Park Ridge. Uh, my dad grew up in Rogers Park, so shout out to Chicago. And my question, I always ask Chicago folks, is about Deep Dish versus Tavern. Are you, do you have a side pizza? Ooh, um, I will say I have a fondness for both. One thing that I love about Chicago is that there's room for both. <laughs> um, oh, you are diplomatic. <laughs> I love but, it. You did not take the bait. I, but I will say, like, I love um, the tavern style Vito Nick's um, Italian beef pizza. That is always what I'll go back for. Um, and I love Lou Malnati's sausage deep dish, you know. Um, I love Pequod's. Like, I I love... Ooh. I love both. I love yeah, here. Of course. Um, so I love both. I, I think I lean now towards the tavern style just because I've made a lot of... I've been getting into pizza making. Obviously, at John and Vinny's, I was doing that all the time. So... I, I'm fascinated by that style of pizza. I love it. Um, but I also grew up eating, you know, uh, fried pork sandwiches, fried steak sandwiches, hot dogs, Polish sausages, Ethiopian food, fried shrimp. I love Chicago food. I, I, I have such a fondness for it. I think I was really excited about the bear a lot just to shine that light on Chicago because I still think that it is a really special place and Chicago loves its food. That's why I always get nervous. Maddie and I shot a video making an Italian beef and I was like, oh no, like you can't do this. Chicago, we could break a heart if we do the wrong oh, thing. Oh yeah, Chicago's gonna, <laughs> the, the Jardinera, I mean, getting that right is is probably its own uh, chapter. In a, Jardinera, in a, in a beef, set. what kind of cut you use for the meat, how you're yeah. seasoning it, the bread, it, it's all part of it. So what do you think about Pats on Lincoln? Love it. Love it. Love it. Classic. That's my guy, I think. Yeah. Shout out to Pat's. Yeah. Shout out to Pat's. (laughs) Um, And Pequod's is pretty good. Um, But uh, Millie's Pizza in a Pan is a new place I went to, a newer place. How was Uh, that? It was really good. Uh, It was in Uptown. It's it's kind of a little chef here. It has a little bit of a. A car. The, the guy runs it has a little bit of a carmy vibe. I have to say, I, I don't remember his name, but I met him, and he's he's like a lone wolf and doing like very few pies a day, doing that thing. Um, I I love that you brought up fried fried fish and specifically shrimp because I think Chicago is a shrimp town. Fried shrimp is is part of Chicago. Or like I always yeah, fried shrimp is huge Chicago food and you know like shrimp de jong like I, I always came here and I'm like does anybody eat the really garlicky shrimp that you like blaze in the oven nobody no under a salamander you just like get it piping hot all this garlic and parsley everyone's like what are you talking about I was like oh man it's just like you know sh- for me there's so many things I remember about Chicago and I just have such a fondness for it it's such a it's such a food town I'm, I'm happy we could we could we can marinate a bit on that topic. Yeah. So you are a private chef right now? Yeah. What's that like? Well, private chef, caterer. I'm also working on starting my own business, which will be out soon, but 
you know, I don't like to launch it until it's ready, you know? No, definitely agree. You can't, you, yeah, you gotta, you gotta get your card, all your ducks in a row before you let things out in, in the world. So I'm very precious about it right now, but, um, yeah, so I've been private chefing and cooking so much food and making pasta all the time and pizza and focaccia. And, you know, I wasn't cooking as much when I was a head chef and culinary director, which is ironic. Um, I definitely wasn't cooking for myself. And so now I've, I've really felt like I'm going into my cookbooks. Now I'm reading them again. And for so long in years, they were just collecting in, in restaurants. They kind of just, I built up my collection and they collect dust, which was crazy to me. Let's go there. What are some of the recipes? What sorry, some of the cookbooks that you're that you're really drawn to? I, I love this. I love this conversation. Well, I love um Joe Bedia. Pizzeria Bedia is one of my favorites. So I've been reading Pizza through that. Camp, right? Pizza Camp. Yeah, yeah, Pizza Camp. I love that cookbook. I've been going into a lot of the Odalengi cookbooks recently for a lot of veg stuff, a lot of vegetables. I've been working on my vegetable game. Um, Ooh, there's such good books. He I love the best. I love Rachel Roddy. She's fantastic. Um, do you know her? Uh, yes, I don't. I know the name. Yeah. I don't think I've ever cooked with a Rachel Roddy book. She's amazing. I think she's just very simple. And, and, you know, one of my friends, um, Grace Bush Feinberg, who was at Prune for a long time, kind of lent me a couple of her books and I'm like, wow, like this is the simplistic style that I really love. Yeah. I've just been trying to, to make things that I haven't made before and challenge myself. So that's been really fun. What are some crazy requests when you're private chefing? I mean, do you, do you get some of those, like find me uh, this egg dish, but without eggs? Like I'd like an egg-free egg dish. Man, that's not just private chefing. That's restaurants. Yeah. I mean, Truths. wow. You work in a couple different neighborhoods and you learn a lot about what people like, will, like, will Give me not. a vegan oeufs mayonnaise. Like yes, vegan oeufs mayonnaise. Or no salt. The no, you know, look, like <laughs> I've had... I, I feel for people with dietary restrictions and really yeah, sure. rigorous diets. Um, I I have a hard time when people exploit that. That's when I get mad because I'm like, well, is it a, a real situation or are you just like dieting yeah. and have a preference? And that can be hard on a kitchen or the line cooks or whatever. Um, but yeah, I, I get it all. I get nothing. Don't cook anything green. I don't like anything green. Um, I don't like anything red. I mean, the color stuff is interesting. Um and I've seen that, but, but I try to roll with it. Honestly, uh, I remember one of my friends telling me like, when you're a chef, you can't be like a one trick pony. You can't have one recipe. You can't have one style because you'll never grow. And that's something I've held really tightly to because it's like, yep. I got so uh, focused on Italian food, but I've learned so much from different types of food and cooking. And it's made me so much better to apply all that stuff. So I try to remember that, like, even when I get crazy challenges and I'm like, okay, that's going to make you better. You know, let's talk about season two of the bear. I mean, you, do you personally have goals for the way the show is going to, the direction it's going to take? And also, are there any foods like we've just talked about Chicago foods? Like, are you hoping that there's like a fried shrimp storyline? Are you hoping that there's? <laughs> of course. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Let's go there. What do you think about season two? <laughs> you know, I can't say anything yet. Um, I know you didn't take the bait. You're you're good. <laughs> yeah, I I can't. Um, but hopes just, and dreams, not not hopes truth. and dreams. I I hope that you get to see more of the characters, um, and where they go in their culinary development and how they continue to grow as individuals. Um, I think food wise, there's 
endless opportunity for that um, and endless influence other than, you know, what we've touched on so far. So we'll see, we'll see if it, if, if it happens that we kind of get some shrimp in there, you never know, maybe some chicken Vesuvio. I don't know. Ooh, chicken Vesuvio. I haven't <laughs> you know heard that, that in like since the eighties. I, I, I know the name. What is it? I love it so much. Um, Chicken Vesuvio is like chicken cooked with a lot of like garlic and peas and potatoes and chicken stock. And it's just amazing. I I just love it so much. Uh, Coco, we ask all guests on the Taste Podcast, if you could write a cookbook or food culture book without the burden of budget, meaning you have unlimited budget or the burden of time, meaning you have no deadline, you have unlimited time to write this book. What would that cookbook or food culture book be? I would probably write a book, uh, a cookbook that kind of speaks to the young cook, um, the person debating whether or not they should be a chef or, you know, a cook that's looking to go from good and great, good to great with kind of like Mm. tricks of the trade that I've learned in restaurants. So much of uh, my experiences in restaurants um, aren't just limited to, you know, how to cook a great steak, but what kind of cutting board to get, what salt to use, what kind of heat to use, how to use your oven, why do you need an immersion blender versus a Vitamix, why do you use a food processor, you know, all of these things that um, have made me a better chef have taken years. Um, And I think there's a method of organization and structure that helped me so much in my personal life um, in kitchens, being a part of a team, pulling your weight, you know, full hands in, full hands out, this kind of approach of teamwork, like, I would probably focus on something like that, you know, it kind of incorporating all the le- lessons I've learned from all the cooks over the years that have made me better. It's so smart. Good to great. Let's do yeah. it. I, it's <laughs> such a smart title. I, I love it. Aww. Courtney Storer, what a pleasure getting to know you. Thank you for doing what you do. And thank you for the show. So it's, it's truly my favorite show in many years. Ah, uh, thank you so much. And I appreciate your support. The Taste Podcast is hosted by me, Matt Rodbard. It's produced by Pat Stango and edited by Clayton Gumbert. Theme music by Steve Rydell. Visit Taste Online at tastecooking.com and make sure to subscribe to our newsletter. Thanks for listening.